Welcome to Woke Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Stanford. As a physicist and structural engineer in training with Jacobs Engineering, I have made connections with some bright individuals who are either working, studying, or self-taught and passionate about our particular topics of discussion. Today's topic focuses on autonomous vehicles in regards to how they operate, the history behind them, and their impacts on society in both the public and private sector. With the help of my three guest stars, we would like to provide you with relevant info and expertise on autonomous vehicles that you would never hear in your day-to-day. Zachary Turner. Zach is a computer engineering and physics dual major from the University of Pittsburgh and Slippery Rock University, respectively. Zach specializes in autonomous systems in the field of computer engineering and currently interns at Argo AI here in Pittsburgh. One interesting fact about Zach is that he is a professional jazz musician, where he primarily plays saxophone in front of live audiences. And our other guest star is Dan Arnett. Dan graduated with a bachelor's degree in computer science from Slippery Rock University, where he built their planetarium's projection system. He then achieved his master's in robotics systems development at Carnegie Mellon University, specializing in autonomous docking of planetary rovers. Dan used to work for Astrobotic, the Pittsburgh-based lunar lander company, but today he's employed in Pittsburgh's thriving robotics industry. Some fun facts about Dan outside of college is that he has 300 skydive attempts and 50 paragliding hours. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Sam. It's great to be here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, excited to for today's discussion. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into the first topic, shall we? I'm very excited about this topic because I must admit, I can only speak on the ethical and societal impacts of autonomous vehicles, but where I lack relevant experience and knowledge, thankfully, my cast will be able to fill those shoes. Most of my knowledge about autonomous vehicles and systems comes from self-taught curiosity. For the viewers out there, I think it is important to define autonomous systems and how they operate in layman's terms, because if I may, most are unfamiliar with this topic. And with that being said, I'd like to go to Zach because he specializes in autonomous systems. He can enlighten us on what autonomous systems are. The word autonomous basically means an entity that governs itself. And a system, as we all know, is just objects that work towards a certain goal or a system pertains to maybe an interdependent or objects rising and functioning as just one being. And how that applies in this sense uh, for autonomous systems is um, basically something that is acting of its own accord independently with no help whatsoever. So these aren't new. They've been around for a long time. One of the most common is our internet, BGP routing and routing tables, the uh, or ASNs we have now. So for an autonomous system in the internet sense, is something we use every day when we access the internet. And it is the sense of an autonomous system as a large set of internet routable IP fixes and that the system is managed by itself, or at least by the protocols and scripts that were written for this system. See, now that's where it's pretty cool about these newer type of autonomous systems where they introduce machine learning. And we see that in the self-driving industry is we started seeing a lot more machine learning and a system teaching itself. So instead of a system that's a entity governing itself with interchangeable objects going towards a goal, 
instead of just being that and then a piece of code saying this is what you should do at every crossroads these are all the crossroads you could ever hit this is what you should do what with machine learning does is we get the opportunity to have the machine go through thousands tens and hundreds of thousands of different unique scenarios and learn for itself store what the correct option would be and that's really really game-changing essentially uh it establishes its own degrees of freedom and then it exposes the system to build data points basically that's really cool well thanks zach that was really helpful now i'd like to go to dan because he can introduce autonomous vehicles and how they operate yeah sure um uh, so like Zach was saying, there's been quite a few different technologies that could be classified as autonomous systems going back potentially 100 years or more. And uh, autonomous vehicles add an extra layer of complexity. You know, we uh, we like to, when we think of autonomous vehicles today, a lot of people think about cars for obvious reasons. But uh, if you really wanted to boil it down, you could do the same thing with a train, you do the same thing with uh, farming equipment, with mining equipment, uh, lunar rovers or Mars rovers. There's a really wide range of applications uh, that, you know, you could apply autonomous systems towards. And... Uh, what we're seeing today, we're in this exciting period where we're going from uh, these very niche environments, very controlled environments, and they're going out into the field. They're going out into uncertain and dynamic changing environments that uh, pose, you know, exponentially greater challenges uh, to, to deal with. So this is a pretty exciting period for it, and it's a pretty exciting topic, and um, hopefully we can uh, and all learn a, learn a thing or two discussing it today. Just to get a little specific, the industry of autonomous vehicles has basic levels from zero to five, where zero is a manually operated vehicle, like the ones we are practically all using today. And we go to level two, and this is where Tesla claims to be at right now with assisted driving or having an attentive driver. And then you have other levels like level four, where companies such as Aurora, Waymo, Cruise, Too Simple want to be by 2024. And this is where you'll see full automation, but the vessel will depend on input maps and data to get from point A to point B. And finally, we have the ideal level where all these companies are, are trying to get someday here in the future is to have a vessel of full independence. So you can get out of your car for work or, you know, at the park, and then the car drives to get roadside pickup lunch and delivers it to you while you're enjoying your day. So now I'm sure that a lot of you are listening out there think this is really sleek, but still are curious to whether or not these systems can detect certain objects. So Dan, what sort of objects can be found by these vehicles when in operation? Well, that, uh, that comes down to what the sensor it's using is. And uh, of course, the, the first sensor that comes to mind, the thing that I think a lot of people would think of is something that is already on most cars today uh, in some form or another, which is a camera. Cameras are, uh, you a lot with them. You can do a lot of really good work. I mean, people walk around by having two, essentially two cameras on the front of our head. And that's what's, uh, what enables a person to drive. And so there's, you know, a lot of things that you can detect with cameras. Computer vision in, in the past few years, uh, or in the past decade, the 2010s was huge for 
for a type of machine learning called uh, convoluted neural networks. And, uh, and that's where uh, you can classify, you can identify different things in an image, you know, people, barriers, other vehicles, and they're trained so that they do all of so Let's put it this way. Just the process of identifying a person, that takes a lot of computation. That takes a lot of thinking on the part of a computer. But neural networks and, you know, these new algorithms actually front load a lot of that thinking in the form of uh, what they call training a neural network uh, so that it can make split-second decisions based off of an image and identify very quickly, is there a car in this image? Is there a person in it? Where is it? And, uh, and then from that, you can estimate how far away that is and, and that kind of thing. So a camera can identify features of interest, like say a road sign. Stereo cameras, when you have two next to each other, allow you to estimate the, the depth or actually measure the depth really accurately in the same way that your eyes give you, because you have two eyes and there's the difference between what your two eyes are seeing and figure out how far away something is. But the cool thing is that you know machines are unlimited in how they sense. They're not limited by just two eyes or two ears. You can keep adding on new sensors. So yeah, the, the famous version right now or the version that people are most around right now is Tesla's autopilot. And uh, so far they've been using not just cameras, but they also use radar as well. And that's helpful for, uh, it's really effective at identifying other vehicles and and, uh, quickly identifying when there's say a vehicle stopping in front of you. If you don't mind me adding to that, they're also implementing, I think soon LIDAR because it seems like all these other companies are introducing LIDAR and LIDAR is just using laser scanning. I mean, ultimately, all of this is just information. So any way that the car's uh, system can get you know information in, whether that's through imaging, LIDAR, radar, even vibrometers, say you're moving off the road, you catch the rumble strip, you catch information from the vibrometer telling you to move back to the right. You know, it's all interworking system providing information. Right. And the exciting thing happening with LIDAR right now is that they're moving from moving parts. It's, you know, a spinning laser system. It's actually an array of uh, different ones, a different amount, maybe uh, 64 vertical lasers stacked on top of each other is, is kind of standard right now. Instead of having 64 lasers that have to all sweep across the scene and, and, and um, all move, they're switching to what's called solid state LIDAR systems that can have no moving parts, which makes it much more resilient to just being jostled on the road. It makes them last longer. It makes them more energy efficient. And so it's really exciting to see. And it'll be very interesting in five years down the line, what do these LIDAR systems end up looking like? Because there's so many, it's a very hot market right now. It's very editive right now. And it'll be in see who is going to, uh, who's going to win out and um, what are the systems that are going to really succeed. Uh, you know, when I took transportation engineering, I was always told that the normal condition driver would be able to react in 3.8 seconds. And I know you were talking about we're way past the eyes in the ears there's just so much information coming around and you know i'm going to go on a limb and say that once information is detected the system will automatically break and react compared to the difference between a human recognizing then reacting would have to be much greater than than sensor time uh, with these systems because it's information it's moving at speeds unimaginable to human relation 
But we have to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we will discuss the fourth dimension of autonomous vehicles, past, present, and future. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Woke Talk Podcast. Jumping into the next segment, I would really like to break down the fourth dimension of autonomous vehicles. And I want to start with Dan because he mentioned offset that his mentor at Carnegie Mellon University was a major character in the history of driverless cars. Could you give some detail on that? Yeah, um, one of the greatest privileges of my life was uh, was getting to spend time with a big character in robotics history named Red Whitaker. And um, uh, Red has been around since the very beginning of robotic technologies. And when thinking about the history of, of autonomous vehicles, you can't go far without finding Red. So I think the best place to start is kind of the beginning of his journey, which was uh, in the early 80s, the catastrophe at the Three Mile Island uh, nuclear facility here in Pennsylvania. So I guess that would have been in 79, when all of a sudden there is a disaster where they can't quite send in people to go and work uh, in this environment or go and inspect in the basement of the Three Mile Island nuclear facility. And this posed a huge challenge for a lot of people. How do you go and do work? How do you go and explore and examine? And and how do you have eyes and ears in a location where it's unsafe for humans to go? I mean, no no matter what suits you put them in, this this radiation can be very dangerous. And so they didn't want to send people down into the basement of Three Mile Island. And uh, and Carnegie Mellon, uh, led by Red and his team, they, uh, they developed a system that was able to go in, uh, explore the basement, take videos, stream them back over a, a long tether, and, uh, and eventually also able to take core samples in the basement of Three Mile Island. This set off alarm bells kind of across the country showing that there's a need for this technology that can go to places where people can't do real work and and if you want to go further you have to at a certain point you have to cut the tether you have to no longer be tied or or have a radio signal with the ground you need a machine that can go in and do work without any human involvement and this really kind of ignited a lot of robotics projects around the country soon after the uh, the robotics institute at carnegie mellon was formed and then that led into project after project after project and and just this huge growth in this new industry and uh, of course this has led to different projects there's soon after came uh, the Terragator, which is often called the first autonomous vehicle and it actually wasn't made uh, to be a car operating on roads it was a uh, machine for going into mines because there again when you have a mine collapse and you need to know what's going on inside of a, a collapsed or maybe uncollapsed but dangerous mine as as at risk of collapse you don't want to send in people and all of a sudden increase the number of people you have to rescue what if you can send them at a machine to uh to do the work and not cause any harm you know not uh, endanger anyone else by going in there uh, so Terragator was a, an early system. It went in and would autonomously explore mine shafts, build maps of the tunnels. And so it was the first of its kind. 
Oh, and funny story about Terragator. Along the line, they, they added cameras onto it, and they, they started doing simple algorithms. I mean, you want to keep it simple at wherever you can. So uh, when they added on computers, the first thing that one of the first algorithms they applied was edge detection, finding edges or lines in an image. And so you write the simplest algorithm you can. Find parallel lines, you know, find straight lines and follow them because roads are mostly straight lines or nearly straight lines. And if you can build a machine that can follow them, there's a lot you can do with it. It's kind of the basics of autonomous driving. Uh, and so they had Terragator here in Pittsburgh going uh, along Shenley Park, following straight lines, you know, following a trail. And then they discovered something interesting. You see trees have parallel straight lines when you, you look at them through a computer vision algorithm. And so uh, Terragator decided it was one day going to go up a tree. And that didn't work out. It flipped itself onto its back. And, you know, but that was kind of the early days. And of course, robotics students across the country still do uh, do the same kind of things. I've, I've seen robots in the lab go straight up a person, small ones go straight up a person's leg or something like that, doing similar things. But that just kind of shows how far, you know, this industry has come or, you know, just through the research. Um, and, uh, and so then... After Terragator, they moved on to something called NavLab, which a lot of people call the first driverless car, because they actually uh, built it out of a this you know this big van, and they would have just racks of servers and you know big computer monitors. Uh, sorry, like a, I mean this was the uh, this was the '80s, so like even a per- they couldn't even have a personal computer. It was almost like a mainframe you know, in the back of this, this vehicle. And instead of these uh, LIDARs we have today with, you know, 64 lasers scanning, no, it was just one beam that would just scan back, you know, left and right, kind of like a, you know, an, an older um, a cathode ray tube television, you know, just a single laser beam scanning left and right. That was also called the No Hands Across America project. Right. And from my understanding, that was a, just to circle back from what we were talking about in topic one, that was a level one operation where it was semi-autonomous for safety reasons. They had a, they had a person there to make sure for just making sure the steering was okay, but for braking and accelerating. And that car actually went 3,100 miles across country. Yeah. And um, I, I believe that one, they, they mainly did, it was something like 95% of the driving was uh, computer controlled. I don't think they, back then, they had the, um, the ability to uh, take a turn, go to the gas station, find a parking spot. But the majority of a drive, following lanes, yeah, that for sure, even back in the, the 80s, or uh, I think early 90s, I remember right, is, is when they were doing that. But around then, it goes to show you really don't need a whole lot of complexity to augment a person's driving. And now these fe- those kinds of features that you mentioned are in consumer cars, um, Tesla's uh, autopilot, uh, and then even just something as simple as uh, maintaining a lane or, or uh, maintaining distance uh, from the car in front of you. That's right. They even have lane indicators or, you know, if someone's approaching to the, to the one side, they buzz your seat. That way you don't, you know, merge to the other lane and cause an accident. That's in a lot of newer models today. 
But Carnegie Mellon actually possessed the largest development in the 20th century by using these neural networks to steer and control a vehicle. And I just wanted to reiterate that a neural network is just a system relying on training data to learn and improve accuracy over time. And, you know, that's really interesting because with all that effort and everything, it seems like there should be more of a presence today from what was broadcasted by many companies. Autonomous vehicles were five years away a decade ago, and that plagues the question. And I think Dan can elaborate on this is, is the industry running out of gas? Yeah, well, um, I think to get a better sense of that is kind of the 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 reason why people were so optimistic in the 2010s is that in the early 2000s there was a uh, uh, there was actually a driverless car race there was actually three driverless car races they were put on by DARPA as because you know the United States sees the value of this technology they set up three driverless car races two in the desert one in an urban environment and it brought out a lot of really incredible, and, and there was a multi-million dollar prize for each of those races. And it brought out a lot of really incredible talent and really incredible teams. And, and that race is where we get all of these teams that we see uh, that are today these part of these huge companies. The Waymo group, the Uber advanced technology group, the, uh, let's see, there's Argo AI, Aurora, uh, Velodyne. Velodyne's the ones that make the LiDAR sensors. They're, or the, they're kind of the original LiDAR sensor for driverless cars. Uh, Velodyne came out of these driverless car races. And so there was this just explosion of talent, creativity, and, and, uh, and a community for driverless cars that still kind of is, runs the show today. I mean, it's still, they're the deep experts in, in autonomous vehicles today, they were the ones competing at this race. And so, but what we've seen is since then, people were really excited. They were seeing driverless cars on roads, stopping at stop signs, stopping for pedestrians. And they were doing this in 2007. But what we found is like, is, is obviously that this dream of a taxi without a driver, that dream is, um, far huger than than people intuitively uh, imagine for a uh, for an algorithm and um, a lot of people investing have decided they'd like to move on and you see some consolidation of of some of these driverless car businesses of course you still see others just chugging along like always uh, it seems uh, Waymo's still still running strong and there's still a lot of investment and involvement here in Pittsburgh? It's science. You know, we measure our success off of our failures. And, you know, big names uh, have failed in the past or merged, as you would as you would say, you know, because technically a learning experience. But, you know, big names like Google and Uber have actually merged with other companies actually like Waymo. I do believe that that Uber merged with Waymo a few years ago. But I think they were treating it like an in-home science experiment. You know, you you have the book, you have the steps, and you go to do it, and you're halfway through getting all the stuff together, then you realize that you're missing like four things. And I think that's what's really plaguing the industry currently is there's all these questions to make it as efficient as possible. Yeah, um, 
Well, you, you mentioned you, you touched on uh, Uber and uh, and Waymo, or Waymo is just uh, Google's arm, their their driverless car arm. That's right. It's actually uh, it's a little more juicy than that. There was apparently a, a bit of a drama uh, between the two, due to one of Waymo's rock star developers started a company for driverless cars while he was working for Waymo, and then quit and sold his company to Uber right away. And that, that kind of set off a lot of alarm bells. You know, is, is this guy taking technology and uh, kind of sharing our secrets? There's there's a huge court case over it, and I believe that Uber either lost or they settled. I don't remember which. But Uber basically had to can a lot of their technology and put a lot of their their own LiDAR technology aside uh, due to what came out of this lawsuit. And it really sent a shock through the, well, it sent one shock through the driverless car world. And then the, uh, the big one hit, uh, you know, one was sadly killed when an algorithm or when the um, driverless car out in uh, Tempe, Arizona, when it failed to see her uh, at night and when the safety operator, you know, wasn't paying attention and uh, and that really shut things down. I mean, here in Pittsburgh, we went from seeing driverless cars every single day on the road to them just vanishing overnight. And they, they haven't come back in the same way that they, they were around back in 2016. Right. From what I've heard, nighttime and weather have given these companies the most fits, which plays into, into safety. And that's mainly why you're getting these stories like this, that you need to make sure you have a five-star rating in safety. Oh, yeah. They don't want glitches in the system. They want to be able to put people in these autonomous vehicles rather than having them drive in their own private vehicle to work for 45 minutes. And, uh, and the insurance companies backing you know, these autonomous systems, they're probably the ones that you know, are going to be the strictest or the, they're the ones that need to see the proof. They need to see the goods, whether these systems work or not. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I watched an interview with CEO Chen Liu of Too Simple. He said this year that they plan to be fully driverless in 2024, uh, rather than having the need for assisted driving. So that's actually going to leapfrog Tesla's goals. Uh, right now, Tesla is only on level two, but Too Simple believes that with what they're doing in terms of their uh, automation, they're going to be able to jump to level four uh, with their fleet. Yeah, that's the cool thing about words. You can just... Uh... You know, you can say anything. It doesn't cost you anything to just say things. That's very true. Regardless, the past couple of years, things have they've slowed down. Some of the optimisms kind of, um, you know, maybe people aren't as starry-eyed or it's not as ambitious as it was a few years ago. But it's still an incredibly exciting time for it. And we're seeing the slow march of new features coming into vehicles that is really stepping us towards autonomous systems. Every year there's more cameras, every year there's uh, the, the lane maintenance gets a little bit better. And let's put it this way, you know, the autopilot isn't the, uh, the holy grail of driverless cars, but you know, it is something that can help a person on a hour long, five hour long, boring drive where people are really good at doing the last mile, but we're really, really bad at maintaining our focus for 
five hours on end. So there's already a lot of good that's come out of all of this work and all of this research. And I'm really excited for what the 2020s are, are going to bring for autonomous vehicles. I'm right there with you. And that really makes me wonder, you know, about the future of autonomous vehicles. I'm extremely optimistic, but uh, what direction are we heading in, Zach? I think it's only up from here. I mean, this is a pretty cool solution. And solutions are only as good as the problems they solve. So I think the numbers are somewhere under 50K people die a year from automobile accidents. And to have this system automated not only solves that problem, where it's it's all the computer. This is obviously best case scenario, and we're definitely not there yet. If we can get to a point where there's absolutely no deaths, I mean, I think we're doing a pretty darn good job. And another thing that this is uh, going towards is the public transit problem. How do you solve public transit for people who are remote or old or crippled or can't go somewhere or can't get out of the house? These are the type of solutions for those problems where we can send a car out to out in the middle of nowhere, pick somebody up, bring them to a doctor or get them the help that they need or to go get your COVID shot or whatever it is you need to do. And that's something that we haven't been able to solve for a long time. And I can only dream of what's to come next. I mean, we're just on the tip of the iceberg, really. Should be exciting. I agree. Actually, that's going to be our next topic. But unfortunately, we're out of time and we have to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll discuss the impacts that autonomous vehicles have on our society for now and the future. Woke Talk Podcast would like to acknowledge Tree Cup Tea for their delicious organic tea and their cause for reforesting the island of Haiti. At the start of 2006, Haiti was stripped of 80% of their forests due to agricultural malpractice. Because of their partnership with Haiti Friends, a nonprofit tree planting organization, Tree Cup Tea's goal is to fully restore Haiti's forests by 2030 and continue to support reforestation worldwide. Tree Cup Tea sells four different flavors of tea that can be bought by the 12 pack and delivered right to your door. With every purchase, 12 trees will be planted in Haiti, along with a supply of 12 complimentary maple tree seeds that can be planted in your very own neighborhood. To learn more about their cause, operations, and tea, go to www.treecuptea.com or follow Woke Talk Podcast on social media platforms such as Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to find Tree Cup Tea's official link. Just remember, Tree Cup Tea uses your contributions of buying their tea to plant a beautiful tree. And we're back here at Woke Talk Podcast for our last segment on societal impacts that autonomous vehicles will bestow on life. I'd like to start off with a clip from TED Talk by Peter Calthorpe, a professional urban planner with world-renowned company HDR. He explained how greatly private autonomous vehicles will clog the arteries of our cities and impact transit in the future. Well, you know, I think there's almost too much hype here. First is, everybody says, well, we're going to get rid of a lot of cars. What they don't say is you're going to get a lot more vehicle miles. You're going to get a lot more cars moving on streets. They're going to, there's going to be more congestion. Because, so, they're, because they're so appealing to well, you can drive while reasons. reading or sleeping. couple reasons. One is, if they're privately owned, people will travel greater distances. It'll be a new lease on life to sprawl. If you can work on your way to work, you can live in more remote locations. It'll... it'll revitalize sprawl in a way that I'm deeply frightened. Share, uh, taxis, about 50% of the survey says that people won't share them. 
If they don't share them, you can end up with a 90% increase in vehicle miles traveled.、Hmm. Um, if you share them, you're still at around 30% increase in VMT. Sharing them meaning having multiple people riding at once and yeah, some sort of in intelligent ride sharing. So the Uber share、right. without a without、yeah. a steering wheel.、Yeah. The reality is the efficiency of of vehicles. You know, you can do it with or without a steering wheel. It doesn't matter. They claim that they're the only ones that are going to be efficient electric, but that's not true. But the the real bottom line is that walking, biking, and transit are the way cities and communities thrive. Now, heading off of that video clip, he is absolutely right. If autonomous vehicles only affect the private sector moving forward, though, currently 85% of commuters drive alone. Adding the option to comfortably commute to work in these cars will negatively affect the capacity of our roads. The problem with established cities such as Pittsburgh or Chicago or New York is that the habitat is too dense, the real estate is too expensive, and the amount of commuters will probably continue to rise. That eliminates the opportunity of expansion. In the past, growing the roads was the solution, but today and for the future, that will not work. Just as we have seen over the decades, public officials elect to have roads widened, but that incentivizes just more people to drive. Roads that were two-lane 50 years ago have the same problem as the new four lanes today. It's clogged. In 2014, the U.S. alone spent 29.6 billion hours commuting. The scary statistic behind that is ancient Egyptians could have built 23 pyramids of Giza in that time. I know what you're thinking out there, and that is a lot of wasted time, energy, and money. Just imagine how many of you could have been pilots or earned your PhD just going to work. We designed our cars to perform at 130 miles per hour decades ago, but we all travel at the speed of a horse and buggy. Every time we progress in transportation, it seems that we regress due to capacity limits. So when you give humans the option to be more comfortable, they will take it. And ignore traveling in the mass of public transit. I can guarantee that. With that being said, the way to clear the roads of congestion is to emphasize the options of using autonomous vehicles in integrative ways on three-dimensional approach, such as suspended magnetic pods, automated subways, smart buses, or trains that break off in segments to deliver people to specific destinations. These innovations will decrease the road capacity and allow greener transportation, such as bus and bike lanes, to be established for the people living in the city. Having an appropriate mix of public transit and privately owned companies, such as Cruise and Waymo, that are backed by Google and GM respectively, will give options for everyone living outside and inside the city limits while decreasing the need for parking. Decreasing parking will allow our roads to gain capacity for our autonomous vehicles of the future. Just as an example, someone living outside of the city can take private autonomous vehicles to their city limit and then catch an autonomous public transit to their respective destinations within the city, say to work or adventure or eat, whatever it may be. The major idea of these companies is to eliminate the necessity of owning a personal vehicle for the majority of our populations living in and around the cities. The bottom line, in terms of transit from point A to point B, is that if you can save time and money for people, that is definitely enough incentive for anyone to jump on board a cause.
It is hard to argue ethics, but what I have found is that if a subject agrees with ethical practice and you can argue favorable economics, then you win that every time. Now, Dan, I want to give the audience a break for myself, and I'm curious about what you think the societal successes are with having autonomous vehicles. Sure. Um, I mean, obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is, is safety. It's easy to get desensitized to just how dangerous that driving is, this huge risk. Uh, not everyone has to deal with, especially in countries where there's a solid rail system where they don't have to expose themselves to these huge risks. It's amazing that flying across the world is 10 times, 100 times safer than it is driving to the next city over. Uh, so obviously safety is, is a huge one. You know, our technology for the past about 15 years has won what I call the war on boredom. You know, we've completely eradicated most boredom from our life because we always have, you know, the greatest repository of knowledge and history is in our pockets. You know, we can access the Internet at any time. We can access movies, entertainment, whatever. Kind of one safety risk of driving on a long drive is, uh, is getting bored. And that's the thing that computers really thrive at is the repetitive, continuous, boring tasks. And so by outsourcing a lot of these boring parts of driving and allowing people to just do the interesting parts, the last mile of the drive, the navigating through a construction area, maybe the, the trickier parts, well, that's engaging and more interesting to a person. And and uh, building vehicles that automate the boring parts away and that can take over for the boring parts, that'll be a huge win. And that is within reach in this decade. I'll tell you the, the way that autonomous vehicles are, are really working in the real world today. Because we as consumers, as regular people, we don't really think about it. But the driverless vehicles that are really doing well today are the ones operating out of mines because a mine is in a lot of ways a completely man-made environment its roads are dug out by people the shape of the terrain is is defined by you know whoever set up the explosive charges to clear out a certain area in a strip mine and you can also be certain where all of the vehicles are going to be if you take care so mines are actually one of the first success stories for uh, driverless vehicles. And, and today there are mining operations. A single dump truck will haul over a million dollars worth of material per load and do it autonomously all day. And uh, similar things go for agriculture. And, and so, you know, these companies, Caterpillar, John Deere, and a lot more, they're, they're really growing this ability to autonomously do the dull, boring work and allow people to do what we do best, which is be engaged, be creative, and it kind of frees up some human brain power in a way from doing these repetitive jobs. Speaking of jobs, you know, these autonomous systems, they create new types of work, but it also can accent and, and enhance traditional driving. Right now, 
There are certain companies where their strategy is to, instead of automating vehicles, they just want to automate vehicle caravanning, where you have a truck at the front of a caravan, and then you have where the lead truck has a real human driver, and then you know maybe you have two or three trucks behind the real the the one driven by a person, where all they're doing is just following the truck in front of them. There's still a person there, but they can be semi-autonomous. And as long as you can really nail down, you know, sort of emergency situations, you can kind of have the vehicle safely follow a real driver. If you are a trucker, you know, don't fret about losing your job. One major thing that comes to my mind, whether you're using a level two to a level five autonomous vessel, is that the truck will still need an operator, like what Dan was saying. Aurora and Too Simple focus on the trucking industry by making it into more of an autopilot slash maintenance role rather than driving. You'll still be needed for breakdowns and flat tires and possible navigation, depending on what level you are on, gas pumping or charging, depending on where you get your energy to move, and, and possibly more. The plus side is that you can actually focus on the scenery that you might see, reading, practicing your hobbies, getting some sleep when it's much needed, and then even getting an education, you know, you name it. Right. I, I think that's uh, interesting. A lot of people think about what's the work that you could get done if you're able to not, you know, if you're freed from having to drive on your morning commute, what's that going to do to the real estate market? All of a sudden, you know, houses outside of the city or their prices are going to increase, their value is going to increase because people know they can uh, work on their commute to work and the drive isn't so brutal. But also think about sitting at a passenger in a car today. Like, I don't know about you all, I cannot work when I'm sitting as a passenger. I get a little nauseous. It's just, it's tough for me. And I'm really excited to see if someone can figure this out, but I'm just spitballing here. I would really love to see an augmented reality solution. Like I could connect to my laptop, but instead of looking at my screen, have an AR solution where my periphery is seeing the camera view outside of the vehicle. So the, the problem is your periphery senses your motion, you know, your peripheral vision senses your motion. And when we're when we have our heads buried in a computer screen in a car and there's no motion in our vision, but our inner ear feels us getting jostled and turned and moved around, our brain thinks we're being poisoned. Uh, that's what car sickness is. And uh, if anyone out here is a technologist or a grad student that needs a research project trying to apply AR to uh, eliminate motion sickness would be really cool. And uh, I would love to have that on my driverless car. Just putting that out there. So, but uh, that kind of goes to the point. It's, it's an exciting new world and the people who have the vision and can properly predict what this world's going to become, they're going to have some successful businesses and successful uh, ventures because it is going to change. And I don't think entirely in, in the complete dystopian way that we like to imagine where drivers are, are going to go out of business. As someone that's kind of been around the technology and as, as someone, I even uh, drove for Uber for a summer just for something fun to do. And uh, man, oh man, the, the edge cases that you run into and the weird things that people do on the road, the, the technology is just not going to be ready for that in the next 10 years, for all of it, at least. But for carving out individual sections, yeah, it's, 
it's coming fast. So we'll see where it goes. What I'm excited to see is we've got three different axes that all of this is working off of. There's the sensing. What kind of sensors are we going to have? The computing, you know, if we really have another great breakthrough in computing power, that can make up for the sensing not being the greatest. And finally, there's the communication. You know, if we have perfect, flawless 5G internet from space all the time, well, then that solves the computing problem because you can offload some of your computing to, you know, computers on the ground and operators on the ground if needed. And so it's interesting to see which of these three areas is the revolution going to take place in that's going to enable fully driverless systems. Now, uh, as long as we can figure out the security and make these vehicles secure enough to trust ourselves with and not get breached, then I'd say we're, we're going to be set pretty soon. Those are very good points. You know, finally, I would like to then round out the episode by going to Zachary because there are rumors circulating about potential hacking of these autonomous systems. So is there a true threat out there because these vehicles would be on the Internet of Things, essentially? So, yes, there's always a risk of hacking. And that's whether you're connected to the Internet or not connected. And that's something that we have to look out for. When we go into these industries and creating these autonomous systems, Companies need to look for vulnerabilities. What are the weaknesses? Can they hack it remotely? Can they hack it in person? And these are the things that people should question. I think it's really important for uh, society to have an impact on where these cars grow. And I think it's most important that they grow safety. And one of the safest ways to be in the world coming forward is uh, cybersecurity and physical security against hacking. Because without this being safe, there's no point to it at all. Just to shed some light also, if the hacking potential can be contained through the cybersecurity practices, you know, autonomous vehicles can essentially stop people from malpractice, such as using a vehicle as a weapon, as we've seen in the past, um, not only here in the United States, but all across the world, and then preventing intoxicated or even just sleeping drivers. So if we can rein in the cybersecurity, then I think it's a it's a go. Definitely. To add on this a little bit and kind of play devil's advocate just a little bit, one of the great advantages of autonomous technology is if it is truly autonomous, you don't need to have a connection to anything. If it can sense and plan and act all on its own, you can completely turn off your uh, communications and just operate on your own. So in a way, it opens up a security that if maybe your autonomy is incomplete or you have a remote connection to it, well, if, you know, if it's incomplete like that, you then kind of open up the ability. If you have the ability for a remote support person to take over the vehicle, you also have the ability for a nefarious actor to potentially get in and take over. So truly strong technology, you can nip that in the bud, you can preclude that from happening just with uh, autonomous systems. But I agree with everything Zach said though, we're definitely gonna have some growing pain when these systems first really hit the road. And uh, hopefully we can get to full stage autonomy as quickly as we can. Yeah, level five is definitely the goal. And just to kind of circle back on what I said earlier, 
science is based off of learning from our failures. And for the listeners out there, there are going to be failures. And I mean, that's just like actually just in general in life. And just got to stay patient because as we've seen, technology exponentially grows. So we are going to get there. So just stay patient. Like what you hear? Do us a favor at Woke Talk Podcast by giving us a follow, review, and sharing our content on social media. Woke Talk Podcast is conveniently on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, and Facebook. You can stream our animated audio content through our YouTube channel, or you can listen to our episodes that will feature each Thursday on Anchor, Spotify, Podbean, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Breaker. If you, the listener, have any content suggestions or want to be a guest star on the show, reach out to Woke Talk Podcast via email at woketalkpodcast at gmail.com. All right, that is a wrap. Thank you all for your expertise in regards to autonomous vehicles, the history behind them, how they operate, and their impacts. Our guest star's knowledge will help the listeners at home gain exposure to information on autonomous vehicles that they may never come across in their daily lives. Tune in next week for our special, Mars Colonization, Good or Waste, where we will discuss the difficulties, benefits, and side effects of colonizing Mars. Thank you all for listening to Woke Talk Podcast. I am your host, Sam Stanford, and as always, stay woke. Woke Talk Podcast would like to give a shout out to Anchor by Spotify for sponsoring our podcast along with Ben Sound Music for providing our show with intro, outro, and advertisement background rhythm.